Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. As we inch closer to the end of 2022, what can we expect in 2023? Will the current bearish market conditions follow us into the new year? Joining us today to unpack the latest market action and for a preview of where he sees markets heading in 2023 is Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer. Today, Urian notes that 90% of the market is above its 20-day moving average, and the hard part starts now, possibly heading into a recession next year. Urian also looks at inflation, corporate earnings, and more with host Pamela Ritchie. Per usual, Urian's points are supported by his charts, and you can follow along at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter. Today's podcast was recorded on November 21st, 2022. And also, for more insights from Fidelity's experts, please circle Tuesday, November 29th on your calendars for a Reddit Ask Me Anything. David Wolf, Portfolio Manager on Fidelity's Global Asset Allocation Team, will host an AMA to field questions on his economic and market outlook and share what it takes to be a resilient investor. New and seasoned investors, financial advisors, and anyone looking for insights on markets and investing can join and ask their questions. Keep an eye on the Personal Finance Canada subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash personalfinancecanada. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Always so happy to see you and very grateful for you uh, stick handling us through these markets here. And great to see you. Where are you, first of all? Good evening uh, from The Hague in the Netherlands. I'm here uh, visiting my parents' house. Um, uh, my father is turned 95 years old today, so we had a we're here Happy to celebrate his, uh, his milestone. Yes, thank you. So we've had a great day, and uh, but it's uh, it's around 5:30 here in the afternoon. So uh, so happy happy to be here. Oh, very glad that you could join us and we'll, we won't keep you too long, but we're dying to know some of your thoughts here. First of all, um, I mean, I guess it's really the story of the Fed. We've, we've got a bit of a, a short week. Happy Thanksgiving coming up to you. Um, it's a short week, but there's quite a lot to pack into it. Uh, tell us what we need to know for the next few days, minutes coming up, so on. Yeah, so, so obviously the big news was a couple of weeks ago, that CPI print that came in well below expectations, which of course is a good thing. Uh, it's not a good thing when it's earnings, but when it's inflation, it's a very good thing. And then that was followed by the PPI report. And of course, uh, this created a monster rally, not only in equities, but in bonds as well. So the 10-year yield, which peaked at 4.34% a few weeks ago, is down but you know, well below four now. And of course, the, the, the S&P 500 is up and the more kind of junky part of the market is up even more. Uh, but now, you know, we're, we're looking here with the market up, um, you know, another 10, 15 percent from the lows. Um, and so we've had yet another sharp rally, which so far, you know, it looks counter trend just because we're still in a series of lower highs and lower lows in terms of the overall market. The first slide we'll look at today is technicals, last tweeted by Urian on November 15th. 
there you see the S&P at the top. And so we're at just about around 4,000 on the S&P. The low so far was 3,492. Um, and the 200-day moving average is, is right, right above us. And at this point, 90% of the market is at a 20, uh, is above its 20-day moving average. So we're kind of in a line of the sand where technically, you know, if you think this is a bear market rally, uh, this is probably about as far as it's going to go. Um, and if it's a bull market, then, um, the market should maybe after a pause start to, uh, push through this barrier of resistance. Um, you know, that question of whether it's a bear market rally or not is, is really, frankly, an impossible one to answer. You know, my sense is that we may or may not have seen the bottom, which is a very fairly useless answer. But, um, but even if we have, it's really hard for me to see a bullish narrative here. And, and I'll kind of run real quick, you know, through why I think that one is, of course, that the Fed is not done, right? The Fed is now at three and seven eighths. The CPI numbers are good. I think hopefully we can now with some confidence conclude that the rate of change of inflation has indeed peaked. Um, but that's not enough, right? The Fed wants not just peaking inflation, it wants inflation all the way back to 2%. And we're still at around 8%. And so if the Fed's going to go to 5% on the terminal rate, and we can pull up slide five to show that. And that slide would be tips and the Fed tweeted on November 21st. Uh, one of the things that the Fed has already done since that bullish inflation print is to kind of start throwing cold wa water on the idea that that means that the Fed is not going to tighten as much as it said it was. So the terminal rate, which is that purple line, is still at around. And so if you think, you know, in, if you put yourself in the shoes of the Fed, you're going from three and seven eighths probably to five percent because the work is not done yet. Uh, so the last thing you want to see is for the markets to to rip here and for financial conditions uh, to loosen significantly. Um, so the Fed is going to kind of keep jawboning the market here. So we're not going to get much much support from the Fed. And I think what we'll see from the minutes, which will come out soon, and you know, Chair, Fed Chair Jay Powell has a big speech coming up on the thirtieth of November is it's going to be this hold the line rhetoric. But in the meantime, as you can see in this chart, inflation expectations are coming down again. And so the market certainly is believing uh, the, the narrative that inflation has peaked on a rate of change basis. And I think, you know, by the end of next year, we could well be at 4% or lower. But in a way, the hard part kind of starts now, which I, I hate to say because it's been pretty hard so far this year. But, you know, so far this year, as we've talked about many, many times, uh, it's been all valuation, right? Earnings have kind of come through. Earnings growth is slowing, but it's been all valuation. And I think directionally that we could have seen that coming and we did see that coming, maybe not in terms of the magnitude, but in a way now comes the hard part because now we have to actually solve for the business cycle. Are we going to have a recession uh, next year? And if we look at slide six, you know, you look at the yield curve and the answer seems to be, you know, quite possibly that we will be. Next up is the yield curve tweeted on November 23rd. Uh, so you, you see three different versions of the yield curve at, at the bottom there and financial conditions at the top. So in a way, the hard part starts now because if the Fed is able to uh, land this plane uh, without crashing it, 
Um, and you look at the earnings projection for next year, which is only a couple of percent, I think it's 2.9%, then we may very well beat that number and the market could be off to the races because the, the valuation side has totally reset from 23 times forward uh, earnings to 15 at the bottom and we're 17 now. Um, but if the earnings side you know, falls through because we're in a recession and earnings fall, let's say 10 Fifteen percent or so, uh, which is not a not a forecast, but let's just say that it did. Then you know the E in that PE um, is not the right E, and that could cause another leg down, possibly even to new lows. So um, I I hate to be so vague about this, but it's you know that I think is going to be the thing that we're all solving for because what happens to inflation, uh, how quickly it falls, will drive how uh, quickly the Fed can kind of pivot from 5% where it's expected to go. And I think that's a fairly firm number at this point, now that the inflation data are more supportive. But the big question is, how quickly will the Fed be able to revert back to a more neutral policy? Obviously, 5% is much tighter than neutral. Um, so if neutral is 35 uh, when you look at the equity valuations, you can kind of sense that the market is already pricing itself off that three and a half rather than off the five. And so the, the thing we, we will have to solve for next year is how quickly the Fed will get to those kinds of levels. And if inflation falls rapidly and the economy uh, weakens rapidly, then the Fed could be there very, very quickly. Um, uh, but if it happens slowly, if, if inflation kind of gets stuck at four and won't go down any further than that, then the Fed might have to stay at, you know, four or four and a half or a year or, or whatever the number is. And that's going to be uh, an issue for, for valuations going forward. So a lot more questions than answers, unfortunately, right now. And what that means for the 6040, you know, that 60, I think it's kind of anyone's guess whether it has bottomed or not. The 40, I think, is is pretty solid here, right? That that 10 year yield um, at uh, at close to 4 percent. Uh, my bond model is based on nominal GDP and the forward curve. Uh, you know, that it's been, of course, a relentless rise in yields. Um, and part of the reason was that, you know, inflation just went, you know, it, it got uh, it went much higher and stayed there much longer than anyone, including the Fed, expected. And there were no bids in the bond market, right? I mean, because foreign central banks are, were out there uh, defending their own currency, depleting dollar reserves in order to do that. The Fed, of course, went from QE to QT. Um, but now, you know, at 4%-ish, uh, I think the bond market has some real value here, especially if the forward curve is uh, is even close to being correct. So I, I think there's light at the, end, at the end of the tunnel for the 60-40, but it may come from the 40 before the 60. Okay, fascinating to see this all come together. When you look at certain things on on the global stage happening, the, the question of sort of global trade, and then also looking at the oil price, actually, today, there's a lot of dynamics refixing themselves between whether OPEC calls the shots, whether the U.S. is actually just the biggest producer or the biggest producer we didn't used to talk about. I don't know. Um, there, there's some interesting new global scenarios. What, what does that do to sort of the global story? Yeah, and, and you know, certainly the oil picture uh, with oil being weak, I, I think that's, you know, the potential of demand destruction and a recession playing a role. Obviously, OPEC plays a role in that as well. They went from, you know, lowering production and now possibly 
raising production uh, to compensate for embargoes, et cetera. Uh, but you can see that goods goods inflation, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway, that you know, as we're solving for inflation to come back to two, and again, that 2% seems very far away from where we are now, but how quickly we get there, I think, will really be uh, one of the, the key things to, to, to solve for. And, and on the good side, we look at copper, we look at oil now, we look at used car prices. Uh, those are all coming down pretty hard. So that's that's good news. And we know that the, the PPI might actually be in, in deflation mode soon, just at least on a month over month basis, certainly not on a year over year basis. Um, um, so I think that's an important thing to watch. And of course, China reopening and now maybe not reopening so fast because they actually have a very big COVID surge going on right now in China. And um, one of the issues with China is that the population is really not that well vaccinated, right? At least in the U.S. and in Canada and other other parts of the world, you know, vaccination rates are now, you know, probably in the 90s when you add in people with uh, natural immunity from having it and, and you know, double and triple and quadruple uh, shots, et cetera. But China didn't really do that. They didn't have a good vaccine and it wasn't rolled out as fast. So you can kind of see why China is more cautious about just saying, you know, to hell with it, let's just reopen and if people get sick, they can they can go home and take care of themselves. So uh, so that's still an elusive thing that would really kind of drive the global economy, at least the manufacturing side. So we still have to wait for that. But in the meantime, I think probably one of the most more hopeful things happening on the inflation front is that there are real signs that the shelter side is starting to improve a lot, right? Because shelter, which in the CPI uh, definition is called owner's equivalent rent, um, that part is 40% of core CPI. So that's a very, very big piece of the puzzle. And the anecdotal evidence, you know, that it's been sticky because, of course, if you sign a at least you're going to be in that lease for a while. And so it's a very lagging indicator in terms of responding to economic weakness. But the early signs, when you look at some of the data from like Zillow and others, uh, is that those numbers are now coming down and should start to show up in the CPI data soon. So that that will be a, a hopeful sign, I think. I was interested reading through your notes um, just about the one of the important valuation factors in the market uh, pricing itself is is actually buybacks still still going on. Bring us up to, I feel like we haven't talked about buybacks in actually quite a long time. Here we have S&P 500 revenues, which was also tweeted on November 23rd. So the, the share buyback story, of course, has been a huge driver of the secular story, right? The, the, the secular bull market that started uh, after the financial crisis and which I presume is still enforced, but we don't really know if it's still enforced, but I, I'm going to assume that it is until proven otherwise. But share buybacks have been a huge factor, right? So corporations retiring their own shares through buybacks, which is what that does, or retiring other corporations' share, uh, shares through mergers and acquisitions. So uh, I don't show that on this chart, but we can keep the chart up. But if you add up all the buybacks and all the M&A activity since 09, it's about $20 trillion, which is, you know, and that, that's on a market cap of 40 trillion. So that they, these are astronomical numbers. And when you compare that to the issuance of shares through IPOs and secondaries, 
that number is only about two and a half trillion. So you have a very lopsided supply demand dynamic of companies either issuing or retiring shares. So, um, and what makes the U.S. or what has made the U.S. an attractive um, area to invest in is that in the U.S. more of the corporate earnings are returned uh, directly through dividends or indirectly through buybacks to shareholders than pretty much anywhere else in the world. For the U.S., it's been around 75% so far um, on a a trailing one-year basis, and other parts of the world are probably closer to 50-60 because they don't quite have that buyback mentality. Uh, So whether buybacks continue either during... Might have had a bit of a hiccup. Such as the Wi-Fi situation. No, no, okay. uh, but anyway, so monitoring buybacks, uh, I think, is a very important part of the puzzle. And so in this chart, you can see the percentage of revenues uh, going to buybacks, dividends, and capex. So the big question is, now that earnings growth has peaked, whether the buyback engine will continue, especially in light of slide 15, uh, which we'll pull up now, which shows that the that the, the big mega cap growers um, may have peaked for not only the cycle, but for the whole secular run. For us, slide 15 is top 50 versus bottom 450, tweeted on November 16th in a thread on this topic. And this is the first chart from the thread. So this is a relative performance of the Nifty 50, which are kind of the, you know, the 50 largest companies in the S&P 500. Uh, relative to the bottom 450. And, you know, we only have a few cycles in this chart, so it's certainly not uh, conclusive in terms of the data. But, you know, that run from 2014 to 2021 uh, is more or less of the timing and magnitude of the previous two, which were in the early 70s and the late 90s. So if that is a secular peak, and we know that many of the buybacks, not all of them, but many of them, uh, came from this cohort, then the whole financial engineering picture going forward, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's at risk, but it might not be as robust as it has been in the past. And so if fewer buybacks, it doesn't, fewer buybacks doesn't mean there's less earnings because they come out of earnings, uh, but they do inflate earnings indirectly because as the share count drops, the earnings per share uh, kind of gets uh, inflated, but it has more to do, I think, with valuation, because if you're a shareholder or an investor and you're buying an index or a fund and you're getting, you know, 75% of the earnings returned to you in one way or the other versus 50% if there's not a lot of buybacks, that affects the valuation that you're willing to pay because you're paying for every dollar of earnings. So that's kind of how I think about it. I think it's not so much a cyclical thing, but more of a secular thing. And, and, and course, is it a U.S. Um, thing versus sort of a, a global story, for instance? You know, if investors with pools of money around the world look at that as um, more sorry, of a U.S. Yeah, story. So the, the U- yes. Um, so that's always been more of a U.S. story. And that's why the payout ratio in the U.S. has been higher uh, than almost anywhere else. And that's why the P.E. has been higher as well. Part of it is sector composition, but that sector composition is also what drives the buyback. So it's all kind of one, you know, one thing. Um, and so, you know, but a piece of good news, if you want to think of it that way, is that with the midterm elections now, uh, the, the proposed tax on buybacks is obviously not going to happen. There's not going to be any 
tax on anything or any spending for the next two years. So that will be something that will give some clarity to corporations. I've got a couple of questions for you here, Yuri, and I'll, actually I'll put them together if this is all right. So one of them is just asking for further clarity on can the Fed adjust the target inflation rate? This is always a debate, and I think they can. You'll tell us about that. And the other question is, if inflation goes to, say, 3 4%, how much sort of the earnings decline side of things before the E makes the P decline further? Yes, uh, the first question is is a great one, of course. And um, let's pull up slide 10, which shows, uh, let me very quickly do the second one first. Here we'll look at earnings estimate progression tweeted on November 21st. Um, so earnings are expected to grow around 4% this year, or sorry, 8%, I should say, but X energy is only 1%. So that's obviously well below the current 8% inflation. For next year, earnings are expected to grow 2.9. Um, it's probably unlikely that inflation is going to be much much below four by the end of the year. So on a real basis, earnings are not going to grow at all next year in all likelihood. Um, so I, I and that's okay because we're in that part of the cycle where even if you have a soft landing instead of a hard landing, generally there's not a lot of earnings growth and, and the market has already priced in a lot of that, right? The market's already priced in a soft landing. It may not have priced in a hard landing, but it certainly has priced in a soft landing. But as for the first question, it's a great question. And my sense had been until this year that, you know, if inflation goes down from nine to, let's say, three or three and a half, maybe that's good enough, especially if the economy is then in recession. And maybe the Fed will say, you know what, three is good enough. We'll declare victory. But my my conversations with four former Fed officials in recent months um, has kind of swayed me from that um, expectation and that the Fed is very, very concerned or concerned, but very intent to uh, maintain their credibility and to keep that 2% inflation target intact. Now, I, I should say 2% inflation for them means 2% on the core PCE. And the CPI tends to run a half point above that. So 2% really means two and a half. And then the two and a half, now that they have average inflation targeting, that's going to be an average, which of course is the reason they did that is when inflation was below where they wanted it to be, uh, not, not when it was above. So I think that two and a half percent CPI target is pretty hard and um and it doesn't mean they're going to keep raising rates until we get there i think they're going to be done at five percent and then maybe they'll ease off the, the off the brakes if we do end up in a recession but the difference between going to four and going to two and a half is going to determine how quickly the fed can go all the way back to what is considered a neutral rate which a neutral is probably around three and a half so i think that's where that delta comes in, whether the Fed can only go down to four instead of three and a half or four and a half or whether it stays at five. Um, that's going to be where the difference comes from. And it may not sound like a lot, but that difference translates into a bunch of P.E. points on the S&P 500. So it does make a difference. Yeah, fascinating to get all this. Okay, just going back to what you mentioned uh, really on the goods inflation side of things, and you mentioned within that answer, you know, copper, for instance, we've seen we've seen prices come down. The question here is, do you see a commodity super cycle sort of, I might add, sort of on the horizon? I mean, we are seeing this 
coming down now, but there's also such a discussion about scarce um, commodities going forward. So your thoughts. Next Commodities tweeted on November 16th. It does seem like we are in a commodity super cycle. And so I showed earlier the chart of the Nifty 50 possibly putting in a secular peak. Well, what's on the other side of that Nifty 50? It tends to be value over growth, small caps over large, and commodities or real assets over financial assets. And and, and in the top of the panel of the chart, I showed the CRB index, which is a commodity index going back to the 1800s. And you can see uh, these kind of super cycles. And it looks to me like we're in a super cycle in terms of a bull market. And then in the bottom, you see the 10-year uh, compound growth rate for value over growth, small over large, the CRB over the S&P. And you can see kind of that cyclicality, right? It's like a super cycle. Every couple of decades, that pendulum swings from one extreme to the other. And, you know, again, it's not necessarily predictive, but there's a certain harmony in this chart that suggests to me, at least, that um, that growth maybe is done for a while and that uh, real assets will you know, outperform financial assets. Um, and and the, the kind of the answer in how that would happen is that valuations on equities would kind of remain muted. Um, and if valuations remain muted, why would that be? Maybe because buy, the buyback engine kind of stops running as hard as it used to be, or maybe inflation stays stickier than it used to be, uh, forcing the Fed to be tighter than it than it otherwise would be, which would push PE ratios down. You know, I've shown in previous weeks uh, the relationship between valuation and interest rates. And so, again, it's pure speculation on my part, and I don't think it matters for the next let's say six to 12 months, because I think the business cycle is gonna dictate that. But beyond that, um, I think there are some reasons to, 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 to believe that maybe commodities and commodity sensitive equities um, and value and small caps in general are going, to, uh, are going to be the leaders. And in that scenario, um, the, the kind of the, 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 the fundamental narrative, I think, would be stickier than expected inflation. I think that's, that's what would drive that kind of outcome. Okay, so interesting. There's lots of um, just so you know, lots of happy birthdays to your father coming oh, in. Thank you. So uh, lots of people interested on that front, and um, and also your thoughts on the World Cup. I'm going to ask you. I mean, I'm I'm assuming I know which team you're you're rooting for, but um, any thoughts? I mean, it's it's I, always I, controversy filled, and it is again, of course. But yes, I, and actually, um, Holland is playing as we speak, and I don't really have any choice but to root for Holland. Um, I think I would get um, disowned by my family if I if I did. So so they're they're playing as we speak and I think it's zero zero right now, but I'm not quite sure. I'm getting I'm sneaking at the WhatsApp here while I'm talking to everyone you. So, um, everybody yeah, but um, okay. but so, it's it's so much controversial of course um it haven't been held in, in Qatar. Uh, but you know it's football and uh, we'll we'll enjoy it and uh, you know wh whoever wins as long as they deserve to win it's it's all right by me yeah absolutely it's a it's a great game to watch um so i will just ask you a question about so the fed speech that it, you mentioned off the top probably is going to be more important than the minutes coming out because we on some level have had so much fed speak we we may know what's in them but um this this is at the hutchins center i noticed which is part of the um 
which is part of the Brookings Institute on the 30th, Jay Powell. Is, I mean, just we assume the Fed will do more of what we've heard Fed officials do. But is, is there anything sort of market wise to be aware of with that particular date and discussion and um, conversation? No. And, and again, we can pull up slide six again. And that was the yield curve tweeted on November 23rd. The Fed is solving for tighter financial conditions, right? I mean, the Fed needs to slow down demand uh, in order to bring inflation back to target. Uh, of course, it can't do much about supply chain bottlenecks or about supply issues in general. So it needs to bring down demand. The labor market is still very strong. There are still 1.9 open job openings per job seeker out there. And so cost of capital needs to rise. Financial conditions need to tighten. That's what the Fed is solving for. You know, the Fed doesn't want a recession, but they at least want to flow demand. And so again, that black line there at the top, that's the financial conditions index. That's been coming down since that CPI report, which of course it's, it's done because the dollar is down, stocks are up, bond yields are down. So it's understandable why that happened. But if it goes down a lot more, the Fed's going to try to rein that in. And so I think Powell will probably kind of continue along the same narrative that he started with at Jackson Hole, not this summer, but the previous summer when he said, OK, you know what, we're really going to tackle this. So my guess is it's going to be a hold the line. Don't declare victory too soon. It's not enough for inflation to peak. It's not enough for it to come down. It has to go down all the way to two and a half percent. And, and I think that's maybe the part that the market gets a little bit too complacent about in, in, in declaring victory too soon, because it's not about the rate of change coming down. It's coming down all the way to its target. Right. OK, fantastic to get your thoughts. Yuri and Timur, thank you very much for joining us. Our best to your family enjoying the World Cup tonight. And we look forward to catching up with you soon. OK, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. We hope you join us tomorrow.